Hello and welcome to Going Off Track. Willkommen nach der Podcast Spiel. Who's the German guy? I don't know. He just came in here. Yeah, get him a towel. <laughs> I watched. <laughs> All right, let's start over. <laughs> Sorry. Hello and welcome to Go. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Steven, you started. I feel like I'm doing all this. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to Going Off Track. I am Steven, joined to my immediate right, which you can't see by. Hi, I'm Jonah. Hey. Brad. It's the excitement level that we start off the show with that like sets the tone for everything. Yes. All right. I'm pumped up today because our guest on the podcast? Uh, Jason Hamarker. Who's been in... Like every band ever? Yeah, pretty Almost. much. Um, let's see what we can do. And might also have been at my apartment when I was in college. We tried to figure that we out. tried to figure it out. I think it was inconclusive, but it's possible he was in Battery, Combat Wounded Veteran, Definitely Frodus, known from Frodus. Frodus. Uh, Frodus showed up at my house when I was in school and may or may not have drank all my daiquiris. I can't Frodo? remember. Frodo? Not Frodo. There, there has been some confusion with that. Frodus. Frodus also... Is, uh, Jason currently plays in Regents, and but we didn't really talk about that too much on this podcast. No, we talked because, about some of that stuff. No, he there, when he came by to talk to us, he was sandwiched between um, an NPR interview with Terry Gross, yeah, I believe, and uh, something else. But he's been talking about this. He looked at me and went, "You don't know what we're going to talk about." Because I thought we we're just going to chat about Frodo's and so, bands. So that's what I thought, sort of too. But then uh, he came on and brought this record. I'm probably going to totally mess this up, but it's uh, it's called Nawa, Ancient Sufi Invocations and Forgotten Songs from Aleppo, and it was um, I just you know a album of sacred chanting and haunting melodies, a collection of ultra rare Sufi recordings captured in Syria months before this civil war erupted, and it was recorded by Jason in the courtyard of a 500-year-old house in Aleppo, one of the world's oldest cities. So basically, Jason has had all these insane adventures in Syria, recording this music that's never been captured before, and he talked about sort of the genesis of how that happened, what it was like being over there, and and what it's been like for him kind of being here and having all these people he knows be in the midst of a civil war. It's a, a fabulous story. And, yeah. And I loved how, not what we expected. Yeah, not what we expected, but yeah, incredibly interesting. And you can buy you can buy this record. Uh, on, it came out for Record Store Day this year. You can buy it on vinyl, and he has a bunch of these recordings through his, um, his imprint. I believe it's Lost Origins. And... Uh, like, he had Jay Robbins work on it. Like, he has all these cool DC punk people work on it. But, uh, yeah, he has all these recordings of these kind of chanting, and he's gotten really into doing all this stuff, which is, like, it's incredibly... It's a super interesting story. Yeah. So, uh, hey, Jason, take it away. It's going off Why don't you enter this, Steven? I'm afraid I'm going to screw up Jason's well, last name. Well, that's why I want you to do it. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, Jason. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Jason Hamaker. Yeah. Boom. First try is joining yeah, us dude. going off track this week. And uh, Jason may or may not have been in my apartment in, at James <laughs> Madison University in 95. We're not sure. If it was 95, I think it was. You might have been. If, yeah. ben, if, ben, if ben Davis was there... Yeah. Most likely you were there as well. Correct. Uh, if I was uh, drunkenly throwing people out of my apartment for discussing David Mamet and Sam Shepard, uh, yeah, that would have been the place. Wait, did you, did you stay there or something? No, like that was the early days of Frodus and we would play with Sleepy Time Trio pretty often in 
Harrisonburg, and so we'd be at parties. I would probably have been talking about Sam Walton. Mm, fair enough. Just huge Walmart fanatic at that point in my life. Yeah, it's a bit, you know, it was, they were just getting started. <laughs> just, I love discount clothing at affordable <laughs> prices. They were very credible back in the day, too. <laughs> I mean, back when Walmart was the real deal, I yeah. was... It wasn't about the money. Yeah, never. Back when they it's were just exploiting weird people who had been working for them in the neighborhood, not yeah. the nation. <laughs> <laughs> or the earth. Uh, so we were trying desperately not to talk about anything, anything before the podcast, because we always do that. We're always, as we've said before, the point of the podcast is when we would do television, we would have these fun pre-interviews. It would be so much more entertaining than the interview on camera than... <laughs> try to translate that to the recorded medium here and we fall into the same trap where we'll be chatting about something before we hit record and we're like oh now to go back just seems inauthentic so we just yeah. don't just trying to shut the hell up so you brought up very quickly what you are talking quite a bit about for the smithsonian so uh what is this music thing you're doing with jay robbins that aside from your band so nine years ago i just i was in a band called decahedron which was Joe Lolly from Fugazi, myself, and Shelby from Frodus. And that band broke up. And then the next day, in a fit of irate, post-punk anger, it's like, man, I want to do something that's more like the Kennedy Center, not like the Black Hat, not like the 930 Club. And it was myself and my friend Nate, who used to work at Love It Records, and Bill Nesper, who was the drummer from Discount. Do you know who they are? Yeah, mm-hmm. I know Bill. Yeah. He's awesome. I yeah. used to set up shows with him in college. Yeah, he where, does, was like, you, where did you go to college? Ithaca College. Really? Did you do the Frodo shows there? I did. No, that I didn't do. I did. We did like Dave uh, Piebald, like Discount, <laughs> all that stuff. Bring it, dude. Travis. <laughs> I run into Travis from Piebald in the weirdest spots in the country. So he always worked at Big Burrito in Boston. It was kind of like a staple. You go to you go to Boston, and Travis is there, and you can get you. Know, you want extra guacamole? I won't charge you. You know, like it was awesome. And then <laughs> se- seriously, it was like, dude, let's go to Big Burrito. Travis will hook us up with extra guacamole. And if you're lucky, Adam from Caven was there and would give you salsa or something stupid. And so fast forward like 12 years on tour and we stopped off at the beach in St. Augustine, Florida. Just randomly. We're in Florida. We go into this bagel shop. Travis from Piebald is working at the bagel shop. Did you get, did you get extra guacamole? <laughs> extra cream cheese. Nice. He's like, dude, you want an extra set of cream cheese? I'm like, dude, yeah, I'll take a little bit. But that's, you know, that's kind of the essence of hardcore. <laughs> kind of weird hookups all over the earth. <laughs> but, but, but so we wanted to do, so as Bill, Nate, and I we were kind of sitting around like, what do we do? And, um... I came up with the idea, well, we all came up with the idea, let's make an orchestra, like, of rock guys, like, friends, like, and approach writing music, not as songs, but as, like, movements, so, like, 12 guitars, five basses, six drummers, whatever, and find something to score to, so the concept was, let's find this, some age-old chant, and score music to it. And so later that week, uh, I was driving through D.C. in Rock Creek Park by the zoo. And Bill calls and was like, man, I found these rad chants from Serbia. I was like, man, I've never been to Syria. That's incredible. 
And then the phone disconnected and it sparked the memory of a book where I had read where this, this guy had found the world's oldest Christian chant in the deserts of Syria. And I was like, we got to write music to that. That'd be incredible. And then Bill called me like whatever, like 45 seconds later and was like, dude, these chants from Serbia. I was like, forget Serbia. Remember that book where the guy found that stuff in Syria? That's what we need to do. He's like, no, 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 I, no, forget Syria. He's like, no, you forget Serbia. It's like, you do your Serbia research, I'll do the Syria stuff, and then we'll kind of reconvene. And so this book is called From the Holy Mountain, and this author's name William Dalrymple. He's a pretty famed English author. Like right now he's got a book on like New York Times Top 50 about India or something. And it was allegedly, what I remembered, it was like these monks in the desert chanting in Jesus's language and it's the oldest. I was like, how amazing would it be if I got us and like Ben from Dillinger and Kurt from Converge and we all just did this crazy thing to this ancient chant. And so I couldn't, I got the book out and I couldn't find the two pages out of the 400 that had it that talked about this chant. So, so I read it. No. So (laughs) I researched an email address, which would go, I figured it would go to either the author, his agent, or his publisher and straight up lied and put potential speaking engagement in Washington, D.C. So they would (laughs) read it or at least open it, you know? And then I was like, these are the bands I was in. You know, this is how you spell my name if you want to like vet me or whatever. Like I want to do this orchestra to the to the music you describe in your book, can you send me a CD? Never expecting to really hear from the guy. This was exactly nine years ago. This was June of 2005. And four hours later, the guy was like, this is an amazing idea. I don't know of a CD, but if you ever go to Syria, this is what you tell the taxi driver to get to this church. He's like, it's not a monastery in the desert. It's a church in the middle of the world's oldest city. Good luck. And uh, it was a Syrian Orthodox church And three years prior, I went on tour with International Noise Conspiracy in Europe. And in between, it was like, it was Sweden to Italy and back. It was like three weeks. And then we had 10 days off. And then Sweden to France and England and back and had another 10 days off. No, three weeks off. They went to play Coachella. And then we, and then there was a week in Greece. So on that three weeks off, I didn't go to Coachella with them. I flew by myself to deep eastern Turkey and rented a car and drove like 3,000 miles along the border of Syria, Iraq, Iran, Georgia, just photographing everything in my path. Same difference, really, from Indio, California. Yeah. I mean, there, there was you way... You got a better deal, by the way. There was way less Bjork happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the year Bjork played. I don't know. It was like 2002. That was there that year. Oh, my God. It was 2002. It's like I and, it was International Noise Conspiracy yeah. and Bjork and... I think that's who I went to see was International Noise Conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, right. I think Mark Volta you, might have played Did too. you have your revolutionary dancing shoes on? <laughs> yeah, completely. Because Dennis asked that fairly frequently. Yeah. You guys got your revolutionary dancing shoes on? <laughs> no, no one does. <laughs> <laughs> I would always ask him to do some makeup covers and they get really mad. How about this? Frodo's makeup and refused for a week in Sweden. Really? It was weird. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, the Washington Post just did like a feature on Ian. Yeah. Yeah. It was really well done. There were bands that I was like, I didn't crap. There's stuff I don't have. That's Do you know Chris Richards? He's in Q Not You. 
No, I he, don't. Yeah, he he wrote he wrote that. He's oh, really? Right. He's the, Chris Richards is the head of Washington Post music. Really? It's intense. Right on. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, pretty amazing. Good for them. Amazon's Washington Post. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it is true. Oh, oh, it's true. Yeah, he bought it. Yeah. Wonderful. This is this pales in comparison to anything cool you're talking about. So continue. So now you're, you're driving around. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about ancient stuff, let's just talk about merchandise. Well, let's get back on affordable merchandise, <laughs> right? Didn't didn't he take a lesson from from Sam Walton? You could you could. Can we just you, relate everything to Sam Walton? You couldn't find the book that you were trying to find this tune in on Amazon. That seems shocking to me. This is pre. This may have been pre Amazon. At least my pre my understanding of Amazon. There's nothing before Amazon. That's true. So you're driving through the desert. So so I'm driving through. So so there in Lonely Planet, there was like a little aside that was like there are these monasteries in the area of Turkey called the Turabdin, where the people speak Jesus's language. You can go listen. And Is that so, Aramaic? Syriac Aramaic, yeah. Syriac Aramaic. So it's wow. just like there's English and British English and like Alabama English. You know what I mean? Like Syriac was the was the the. Uh, the written Aramaic of the early church. Like, all the early Bibles that were written in Aramaic were written in Syriac. Like, there was nothing. So, I went to go, you know, find these places and listen to it. It was just, you know, just kind of random. And when I found out that the music I was looking for was actually from that tradition, like, because I was by myself... um, in Turkey, I got asked to have come have lunch with the uh, with the Archbishop of the of the monastery. The monastery was built in three twenty. I mean, it was heavy, and um, and I was wearing four twenty would have been cooler. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of incense. I can I'll tell you that? <laughs> I was sitting on a drive like Jehu shirt, just like it was just like a weird juxtaposition of life. <laughs> like I am in the middle of nowhere. I'm in Asia Minor. With a Drive Lake Jehu shirt, um, being asked to come have lunch with this archbishop. I mean, did they know Yank crime, or were they familiar with that? They were more, they were in like the seven inch. They were more into Pitchfork. Got it, fair enough. Like, not the website, because no one's into Pitchfork the website. (laughs) Um, Sorry. No, (laughs) it's fine with me. I love Pitchfork the band. I was going to make that joke, too. I was like, I know Jason's going to beat me to this Jehu Pitchfork joke. That was pretty good. Um... Yeah, so so I you know I find out it's Syrian Orthodox. I was like, okay, I need to find this bishop I had lunch with. He probably has the CD I'm looking for, and so I find info at SyrianOrthodoxChurch.org, just the website, like an email address. And so I send the same thing. My name is Jason. These are the bands. This is the book I read. These are the monasteries I've been to. I would love to get a copy of this music so me and my hardcore friends can make an album of it. And the Archbishop of the United States for the Syrian Orthodox Church emailed me two days later saying, hey, this is a great idea. Next time you're in New York, you should come sit down with me. I'd sit in T-neck. And I was like, whoa, okay. And so I was like, can we talk on the phone? And so I called him on the phone we were talking and, you know, I'm terrified at this point. Like, I don't know how to, I literally was look, researching on Google how to, uh, how to address an archbishop on the phone. Like, what do you say? Like, I don't know. And um, he was really humble, really friendly. And he was like, the music that you're looking for, we don't have a CD of it, but I've got stuff that's similar. 
I was like, what, what do you mean you don't have a CD? I was like, well, we don't have a recording of it. I was like, we as in your office or we as in humanity? Like, like, is there a... He was like, yeah, we don't have a good recording of it. I was like, you've been doing this 1,800 years and there's no good recording of it. He's like, no. I was like, do you want me to make one for you? He's like, do you know how? I was like, yeah. It's like, sure, do a proposal, come up and meet with me. And so that's when like the whole idea changed, shifted from orchestra to like preservation project. And so the Smithsonian, that's what Folkways is putting out is that album. Like I ended up recording it years later. And so, I mean, it morphed into all kinds of stuff. I've got a coffee table book coming out in Syria and all kinds of stuff. So this is just like, so the, it's the idea that's striking me is that you were just so bummed your band broke up again sounds like Mm -hmm. and you're like fuck it you know and we'll just do something completely and like what is that you you're the kind of guy like i found this idea i'm just going to keep seeing this through because i keep it just keeps opening doors of discovery to me yeah right on yeah i'm confused so how how did you make the recording like how did you know what it sounded like i didn't okay so 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 the 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 archbishop was like, you know, I came up and met with him and, and it was funny. I, you know, I, I stayed with Dimitri from Dillinger Escape Plan. And, and so my wife and I drove up to New Jersey. It was like this big moment. And I realized I forgot to bring socks. So like I'm going to meet with the archbishop, totally Don Johnson, like no socks. I was like, Dimitri, can I borrow a pair of socks? It's like totally it's just weird. Like everything was just bizarre related to it. And, um, I didn't know what to like going, like you can't hear it. Like you could hear stuff, but it was like, I don't know how to record this until I hear it and see the place. So they actually sent me there. Like in 2006, I went to Syria with a guy named Josh Bonani, who has a mastering place in Brooklyn. Um, so Josh and I go to Syria to see and hear what the stuff is and kind of formulate a plan on how to actually make these recordings. And the, the archbishop, this, this was, this was the surprise. Remember when the, the, there was a Danish cartoonist that did like an, Mm -hmm. that was the week I was supposed to go to Syria. He drew, he drew a picture of Muhammad. Yeah. Which you're not supposed to do. Yeah. You're also not supposed to knock down buildings as part of jihad, but whatever. It's all up to interpretation. <laughs> right. So let's be specific. <laughs> yeah. So that whole party kicked off in Damascus, like the entire ah. Middle East inflamed in Damascus. The archbishop was like, it's not safe for you to come. Mm-hmm. You can't come. I was like, okay, when do I come? I, like, I don't know. I'll let you know when it's safe. <laughs> well, it was safe two weeks later. <laughs> so li- literally. So. I go two weeks later and Josh and I fly. Um, I, I don't remember if we, I don't think we flew together. I really don't remember. Um, but we go and we land and it was, you know, I, I've traveled a lot, but it was really interesting. Like, so the archbishop in the grand movie, that's like a government position He's like the head of Islam, like the political head of Islam. We're on television together denouncing the uprising. And it was just, I wasn't expecting it at all. Like I'm just expecting ignorantly Saudi Arabia, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like everyone was going to be covered and it was this crazy conservative place. And it wasn't that in the least. Like they were 
up on screen together, not like two edited text boxes or like boxes, but saying, hey, let's let's mellow. Why did the archbishop get involved if it was uh, uh, something for Islam? Because it was it was like and that was the thing that was interesting, like Syria then like I can't speak for now, but then did not define themselves as Christian or Islamic. They were just Syrian. And so, like, the, I attended many a meeting between Sunni, Shiite, and Christian, like, all together, like, talking about how to make the community better and how, as the leadership of their re- representative faiths, like, how do we work together to make the place better? And why were you at those meetings? Were they, did they- so, the, so, so I was at these meetings. So the archbishop, I, like I said earlier, like, I stayed with him at the church, and it was for 10 days, and he had this whole plan like a program like you can go and interview these people like kind of based on what i was telling him over the phone he speaks pitch perfect english and so i he wanted me to see what he the way he operated you know like how does it work obviously it was geared towards me seeing a diverse intersection of activity um but for example like one day I sat in on all of his meetings and I can't speak Arabic, Um, but it was insane. Like over the course of six hours, it was like everything from a widowed poor woman saying like, can the church help me to literally the Prince of Greece? Like, and depending on who was there, he was like, Jason, why don't you get up and tell this, tell them what you're doing. And so like. And also tell about that bikini kill show you saw. <laughs> right. You know, like, and teach him how to stage dive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, you know, like, I had to get up and discuss with the Prince of Greece, whose sister is the Queen of Spain, like, my project, like, how I'm hoping to do this. And then I was like, well, what are you guys doing later? We're, you know, we're going to go check out the choir. Do you guys should come hang out. And they totally did. Like, Prince Michael of Greece came to the church, like, broed out. See, by the way, we're Americans. We, that royalty thing, we're not impressed. Yeah. So, do was, you guys want some hummus? <laughs> right. Can we, can we get a little? Was yeah. everyone pretty receptive? Or were, were people, was anyone like, what is this American doing involved in this? Is no this our is, culture like, or something? It wasn't even that because n- very few Americans even go there. Like, right. no, everyone assumed I was Armenian. <laughs> everyone just thought I was from Armenia. Like, there's a pretty heavy Armenian population. Um, But being an official, and I didn't recognize that I was an official guest of the church, but being an official guest of the church and showing up in the archbishop's entourage meant something to some people. Did you think that this whole idea was going to just, for lack of a better term, snowball like this? Like, this is... Not at all. So this is just literally, so you, you have this idea, you remember this story and you heard about this song and all of a sudden you're hanging out with the archbishop. Like this is... Yeah. And and then like the way I operate is you know, let's just, let's actually do it. Like, you know, like I didn't, I, this is not my job. If it needs to be done and for whatever reason I'm here, let's let's do it. And so I started... You know, one of my friends is like, you need academic support for this project. I was like, why? He's like, you just do. This is like something that the academic world should support you on. I was like, okay. So I cold called all these Ivy League schools up and down the East Coast. Like just literally, my name is Jason Hamaker. I'm going to Syria to work with the Orthodox Church. Do you need anything? Yale, let me know. Here's my phone number, you know? 
the a professor from Yale called me back immediately and was like, "We don't have anything in the Syrian Orthodox Church in our archives, and if they're up for it, I would. We need stuff. We need some things from the Syrian Orthodox Church for our doctorate program." Why do they never record anything? Is it just the oral tradition, or they just never part of it? No, no, no. It's 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 they have a lot of music that's recorded, but the the things that Yale needed is um. I think it's going. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> the thing, the thing that Yale wanted is, so if if we're gonna like historically, you know, in Judaism, there was the curtain and all of the spiritual, you know, spiritual practice would happen behind this curtain, and the Orthodox do it as well. Mm-hmm. And so for their liturgical studies program at Yale, they were hoping that I could get them footage behind the curtain of the syrian orthodox like what's going on behind? is that the, the basic definition because when you hear when, when i hear orthodox i think of you know orthodox jewish that's what my first thought is and then i know i have friends who are greek orthodox and there's russian orthodox and when you say orthodox does that just mean a little more conservative a little no, more hardcore it's, it's, traditional no no, no 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 so at the beginning we'll just call it believer okay right we'll call it side one that's Judaism, right? right? Side two is Christian. And then the other seven inch is Islam, right? So everyone starts from the same basis, which is, you know, the monotheistic religion. Mm-hmm. And then as the early Christian church started to develop, Rome, you know, kind of championed it and became Catholic, which I think means universal. Don't quote me on it, but... Courtney, yes, your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Does it check out, Courtney? Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just bask in. Yeah, some, yeah. No, just look up what or, like the actual definition of Catholicism. Any, I think it means any universal. worshippers of Cathol out there, if they could just text us. <laughs> Don't ask the Jew. <laughs> so, so that was actually that was actually the um, the logline for Catholicism for years. Don't ask the Jew. That's what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> So there, there was there was a divi- there was a division, and it was Catholic and Orthodox. And Orthodox referred to like really minute Catholicism according to the whole. Yeah, basically that's what I was saying. Urban Dictionary. Yeah. Oh, Urban um, Dictionary. So there's Catholic and Orthodox, and inside the Orthodox, there's Catholic or- Orthodox and Protestant, and a lot of the Orthodox is divided up according to like culture. Like where you are, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. Oh, so there's okay. Eastern Orthodox, which is Eastern Europe, and then Oriental Orthodox, which is Armenian, Syrian, Coptic Christians from Egypt, Ethiopian. Big Bad Brands fans, right? <laughs> Huge. Do you know how many like heavy duty Ethiopian royalty lives in DC? No. It's it, there was a whole article on it, Washington. Like really? the largest population of Ethiopians outside of the country is in Silver Spring and Washington D.C. Really, I didn't that know that. Dude, amazing restaurants. Yeah, and exactly. Highly uh, is Holly Selassie. Highly Selassie. Whoever yeah. his son lives in Silver Spring and has like this job at like Nordstrom's or like something totally regular. There was a whole article on it. it was it was pretty amazing. Wow. Hope he didn't work at that Lululemon store, huh? Dude, my neighbor. Do you know the whole story behind this? It's Have the, you heard this story? No, dude. It, this story is so crazy. So, is this worth deviating from this other story? Because I'm totally down for it. 
No, I'm just saying I'm wearing Lululemon pants. If you if we're gonna talk back to merchandising, mm-hmm. not affordable merchandise that's absolutely comfortable as Lululemon. <laughs> so one night this woman that works at the store goes insane. Was it beats her to death with a hammer? Beats another employee to death with a hammer. My neighbor, my neighbor, his cousin owns a shop three doors down. And like this woman went insane and tried to cut the head off of this woman with a utility knife, cut herself like 200 something times, beat her to death, wrapped them, tied her and the other person up in wire and tried to claim that someone broke in and accost them. And like it was this whole it was absolutely insane and it's actually five minutes from where we work like for my wife and i work and everyone in the entire area was like oh my gosh like someone is going around mutilating all these people and it was this total farce it was the employee that did it to her fellow employee because she was got caught like stealing a wallet or something that's something to link to wow. <laughs> link to the story it, like but i mean it's kind of crazy it's totally crazy <laughs> yeah uh, we're so totally- speaking of orthodox christianity <laughs> yes <laughs> brad the edit begins right before that <laughs> uh brad <laughs> um all right, so we got. I lo- I'm loving this. Okay, so we've got um, so you got Catholicism, and then you got Orthodox. Yeah, and, and in and in Orthodox, are there are there priests? I know you said archbishop. Like, yeah, yeah, how yeah. Does that it's go the down? same. It's the same hierarchy as Catholicism. But did it follow the same? Like, because when Catholicism first started, before they went like all Petrine theory on everything, there wasn't a pope. It was just bishop, 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 bishop. Right. And then they were like, well, it's about land and power and that kind of thing, you know, to, to grow the church. And it wasn't until yeah. Pope Gregory II that you couldn't get married because that way your land stayed with the church kind of thing. So Orthodox, when they spread out, I know there's priests and things. Did that, did, did they follow the same path? I mean, you said I mean, there's a I, bishop. But. So, so as far as like, I don't like, I will be the first to admit I'm not an academic in this at all. Okay. But the thing that I thought was super interesting to become, to be a bishop, you had to be a monk, no marriage. To be a priest, you have to be married. You are not mm-hmm. allowed to be a priest unless you're married i think greek orthodox is that way too yeah, yeah. i'd never heard that before mm-hmm. and it, it's because it, it makes perfect sense and like i asked the bishop like so in catholicism you know i'm christian you know my dad's a minister like well you know to debate the theology is a whole different thing but just like you know it's kind of it's the culture i grew up in obviously i question a million things but going to work with the church with a capital c and record the bridge between the synagogue and the church. I wanted to take communion. Like, can can I do that in Catholicism? The answer is no. I can't because I'm not Catholic. Well, they're not going to stop you. You can do it. Well, I mean, but but here, like, here's yeah. I mean, but like, I don't want to be disrespectful. So with the Archbishop, I was like, hey, is it cool? <laughs> is it cool if I take communion with you guys? He's like, why wouldn't it be? But do they do they do transubstantiation in Orthodox? Are they? That, I don't even or? know. Huh. So, I mean, had you always, and your dad's a minister, I mean, had you always been in, interested in theology and this stuff? Or Not were you all. more just, Not you know, all. into punk no, rock? I mean, and- like, I was like the dude at church that was literally just on the headphones listening to For Whom the Bell Tolls, you know? Like, 
growing up in a Baptist church, what does that even mean? Like, to my parents' credit, my dad was about as moderate as you got. Like, I never got the music lecture, you know? Like, would Jesus be listening to the Misfits? Like, you know, like, we, I never got that. But the answer is yes. I mean, yeah. 138? Of course. Halloween? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. That weird Latin version? <laughs> yeah. That's a he weird wouldn't have, one. He wouldn't that have liked she with keyboards, though, and not many people right. do. <laughs> so, so, you know, like going out of it and like I, start, I stopped going to church when I started doing Frodis, not like out of a, <laughs> I'm starting a weird band. I don't believe this, but just, you know, time. But he was Southern Baptist. So my mom's Southern Baptist yeah. and she was, her, her Southern Baptist church was called, is still there in Charlotte, North Carolina called St. John. Yeah. Which is a very weird thing for a Baptist church with, right. with a saint, you know, right? because other churches don't believe in that. So my mom always told me growing up, she went, the way she was raised was, uh, this is the Bible. Conceptually, there's some really cool stuff in here. And this is what, what her church taught her. Um, it was written a long time ago. People acted right. much differently then. So you need to take a lot of it with a grain of salt. Right. And then when she met my father, who was Catholic, uh, she was looking at his Bible going, what is this? We don't have this book. What the hell is this? <laughs> right. It's very different. So it's right, right, very right. telling all these things that you're talking right. about. So for me, it's just as a historical intersection, it was wild to work with the people that were involved in voting on the New Testament, you know, and just like going to hear like, okay, this is what the church sounded like. 1800 years ago like the cathedral is not that old that i went into like in syria but like the synagogues were i mean like i mean it was crazy and so it i mean the project started as this you know wanting to be in a band and then morphed into this really in-depth um multi-year preservation initiative so on that to, to kind of rope it back on that first day when i was attending those meetings and the you know the prince of greece and all of that there's this elderly man walks in in the middle of a meeting randomly I'm like what is this guy's deal like who is this guy and then the archbishop stops speaking in arabic he's like this is the last jew in syria or in north syria and just kept on talking i was like pleasure to meet you <laughs> you know like it, um how do they know who's the last one do they have like a census there's yeah i mean there's there's three elderly jewish women that live in aleppo and then there was one family out in the desert and this was the head of the one family this guy named david and so if you're gonna be you know david so uh must be sephardic yeah <laughs> yeah and so um, not even joking. It's actually yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's like, true. If you're out in the desert, Jewish tribe. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you're it's the Sephardic Jews. You know, mm-hmm. are in Syria. So, I um the meeting is over, and again, I'm not recognizing that I'm an official anything. <laughs> like, like I don't really understand my position, and so I was talk like trying to talk to this guy. I was like, I heard that there's this amazing synagogue in Aleppo. He's like, yes, do you want to go see it? I was like, I would love to go see it. Not recognizing that I was basically making him because I was a guest of the bishop. He's like, okay, let's go at 3.30. To my surprise, 
I mean, it, it was allegedly built by King David's general. Like the foundation and the structure was 1600 years old. And I got to go in and photograph it. And it wasn't some major photo shoot, but like there was a guy with the keys that was out of town. Like someone did not have the keys. So it was this huge ordeal. And it started like the group started like all these kids started to come. And I was like, we don't have to to go in and do this. And someone pulled me aside. One of the deacons pulled me aside. I was like, this is an official meeting between the Syrian Jews and the Syrian Christians. This has – they have to open the door. I was like, well, if they don't have the keys, like let's not – you know, I apologize. Like, I'm sorry. Like we don't need to, to do this. And so, You're part of a huge metaphor. <laughs> yeah. So a guy actually hopped the fence and kicked the door in from the inside. I was like, we don't need – it's like bam, just like so loud echoing off all the, the streets and – um. So I go in and I photograph the stuff and and come home and put a couple of the photos online and people start freaking out that I have photos of the Aleppo synagogue up on the internet, which led to me getting hired by a museum here in New York as their photographer. Freaking out positively. Like yeah, like, like, like. I cannot believe you have images of this place. How did you get in here? It is impossible to get in there. And I was like, I asked, like, you know, like, like this entire project, like I asked and someone made it happen. And so I got hired by a museum here to, and, and I'm pretty confident. I'm the only person in the last half century. Like I photographed, documented, mapped out all the Jewish properties in North Syria, and why, was, were you, why were you doing that? Because you're trying to set up the recording, right? So, but, I mean, like, like, it was like another thing that ended up happening. Like, you know, I worked for Yale. I did the recordings. And then this museum was like, we've been trying to get a photographer to go to Syria for years. So it's like, well, what do you need? I was like, you know, I go with frequency at this point. And like, well, we're trying to do all this stuff with the Jewish properties. I was like, have you asked? Like, have you asked the, the ambassador or anything? It's like, no, we haven't. It's like, do you want me to organize a meeting between all of us and see what they have to say? And they were like, and then the former ambassador to the United States, like I had, he, he had had to, he approved all my projects in the past and we had this big meeting and they approved it. And so like I went into every synagogue in the North of Syria and was, you know, I had to hire cartographers to come or no, a survey team to come and survey uh, graveyards and photograph like every headstone and all this. I mean, it was wild. So the recordings have already happened by now and you've just done a number of trips back and forth to, yeah. to Syria. And what, I mean, what's your family's take on all this? Like, uh, this is a crazy story. I'm loving yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, it's totally insane. Like, my wife was just always just like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, like, my my wife came to the United States on a boat. She is Chinese from Saigon, Vietnam, and they fled, you know? She now does really well. Her parents, like, her dad was a self-taught contractor. The whole thing. And so she's, you know, she went to JMU. That's how I, like, we used to play at her house. She was roommates with Jonathan Fuller from Engine Down and Jason Wood and knows Ben Davis and all those guys. Like, like, and I met her. I didn't know her then. Her roommate, Allison, started Macrock with Tony Weinbender. 
So I knew Allison and all these guys, but didn't know my wife at the time. That's how I date myself because I went to jam you before Mac Rock. So. Yeah, right. And everyone's like, oh, what's Mac Rock? <laughs> Mac Rock is where the dismemberment plan would go hang out every summer. <laughs> I used to work with, like, uh, Eric from Dismemberment Plan yep. used to live in... Did you go to school with him? No, no, he went to Lake Braddock. I went to yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to work at Whole Foods or Freshfields mm-hmm. with him. He has some really funny stories. Like, Shelby and I would crash, like, Freshfields office parties and just start breakdancing. And like, we can't... Neither of us can breakdance, so that was kind of the joke. <laughs> so, like, they're trying to do, like, this inspirational speech about, you know, like, really pumping up the cheese department. And we would just start breakdancing and bum everyone out and then leave... <laughs> So now at this point with your... So Orthodox Christianity. Of course. Uh, it goes back to Freshfields. When you're... So you're, you're not like kind of subsidizing what you're doing because you're getting, I wouldn't say grants, but they're paying for you to do all this stuff. Right. So it's very interesting. Uh, we've talked to other people about, you know, what happens when your band breaks up because a lot of people don't know. And uh, it just sounds like, I don't know, this, this path you've taken, this whole process is well, beyond fascinating to me. The thing that I always... Do you know Ben Wyman from Dillinger Escape Plan? Yes. I know Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Ben and I discussed this, not the details of this project, but Ben and I discussed this type of thing all the time where it's like most bands have the guy that takes care of everything, like the default manager that books the shows or talks to everyone or whatever. And from that era, all of us that used to do it for our own bands, most of us are still friends to this day. Like Dillinger's second show ever was with my was with Battery, my, my old hardcore band in '97, and we have been friends ever since. But it's like there's this kind of the skills that are learned from that time and place. Like I joke around, like after Black Flag and before you know whatever, before uh, name current band, like. The the infrastructure was set so you could go on all these tours, but there was no. But the the telecommunications aspect of it, there was no internet. Like everyone had their dialers. Like you had to know how to call and convince someone to book your band when they've never heard of you, and just don't care. You know, like, and so it was like the skill set of having the idea. Like, okay, I think we should go on tour. You know, like no one knows who we are. No one cares. You know, I'm 18. Like it's the like those skills translated to the real world or the the non hardcore world usually work really well, and sometimes they fail horribly. And like, but I don't know. I just always like so Ben and I discuss that all the time. Like so, how? Yeah. So you're just applying that to this? Yeah. Just like. I mean, everything that I've done in the country or on this project was like, you know what? This would be fun. Let me, let me, or I think this needs to happen. I'm going to call someone. Like I, after the first trip, I had to submit a proposal to the Syrian government. Like that was intimidating. Is there a book to learn how to do that? No. Or? I mean, like, it was just like. Dear Syrian. Did Maxman Rock and Roll put out a book on how to do <laughs> right, that? Right, right, right. Book your own <laughs> Syrian adventure. I would like to go to Syria. Love, Jason. <laughs> So, I mean, so it was like I sent in the proposal and and they were like, I'd call. I would literally call the Syrian embassy. Hello, this is Jason Hammaker. I was wondering if the ambassador had a chance to review my proposal. Oh, Mr. Hammaker, he's not had had the chance to to review it. Call back in two weeks. I called back every two weeks for months and months 
in months. And then um, Israel and Lebanon went to war. I think it was like 2007 or something like that. At the beginning of 2007. Or at the end. Of, I don't remember when it was. Um, and I had called and not understanding the delicacies of the region. Um, <laughs> has the ambassador had a chance to review my proposal? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the woman was like, Mr. Hamaker, the region is at war. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. Like, not condescending, but just like very matter of fact. It's like, yeah, of course. Not knowing what that means for Syria. And she was like, we're very busy. We won't have time to review it for a while. And my response, seriously, was like, I'm going to call back when the war's over. Is that okay? Just like, it came out of my mouth. And I was like, and that's the end of the Syria project. Like, Mm -hmm. hung it up with like a diplomat. It's like, oh... And but two weeks later, to my surprise, I get a call from the Syrian embassy. Someone from the embassy had just gone to a funeral at the church and had heard the music for the first time with his father and came back and was like, there's some guy from D.C. that has been to the church that wants to record this music. This is great. And then that's when I got invited to come to the embassy and come sit down with the ambassador and discuss all of this and. So this this LP that you have now was recorded when? 2010. 2010. Yeah. So the so, so what's the process been to sort of get to this point from there? Has that been Yeah. So I'll explain even why I have the LP because it it directly relates to the my job with the um photographing all the Jewish sites. So to, I went for months in 2008 doing all, like photographing every headstone, every Synagogue, one of one of my missions, and and I'll, I'll tell the story because it's absolutely insane. I was sent with a professor from the University of Texas. Um, he was the head of uh, the history department, and um, he's writing the definitive history of the Jews from Syria. And so, I was the young guy that had been to Syria a bunch, but didn't really know that much about it. And he's the academic world expert on this on the city whose family is traditionally from there, but had never been. So we were sent as a team, right? And so I'm on the phone with them, and I'm just excited to go with a professor. Like, you know, like I didn't go to college. I'm like, dude, I'm going to hang out with a professor. This is going to be awesome. And he was like, when we go, my wife's family used to be large real estate owners, and we have to go and take photographs of my wife's grandfather's shop. I was like, oh, I'd love to. That'd be incredible. I'd, you know, I'd love to do something like that. And he's like, yeah, the Pachotos were a family, very prominent family in Aleppo. And I was like, the who? He's like, the Pachotos. I was like, that's interesting. I was like, there's a band uh, from Washington. Um, and the guitarist, that's his last name. They're huge. He was like, what's his name? I was like, his name's Guy. I was like, I, don't, I was like... The band is called Fugazi. He's like, that's my wife's nephew. Son of a bitch. I was like, of course. <laughs> Someone from Fugazi is related to the Syria project. And it was weird. Like, the, the first time, after I came home from Syria the first time, I saw Guy somewhere. And he was like, yeah, my family's from Aleppo, and I don't really know much about it. And he's like, don't you think that's a great name of a dog, Aleppo? He's like, come here, Aleppo. Come here, come here. I was like, that's a great dog name. You know, like, sure. And so 
it was insane. Like, so I'm in Syria, in the world, like in the synagogue, in the world's oldest city, and I find all of this stuff from Guy's family. I found a Torah scroll that's hundreds of years old that his family had donated the community. And and I was just like, what is going on? Like, it was totally mind-blowing and just kind of weird. And, like, I, I don't know Guy very well, you know? And so I came home and um, <laughs> I told I told Joel Ali, he's like, you will not believe what just happened. He was like, makes sense. He's like, I don't understand that guy's life. <laughs> He's like, that guy. He was like, if there's anyone from Washington, it would be him that's got like this insane past. And I emailed Guy. I was like, uh, so I definitely found a room full of tombs underground, like straight up Indiana Jones. And your great, great, great grandfather's tomb was in there. And I can't handle that very well. He was like, I don't even know. Like, He was like, I've got no idea about what my family does or where we come from. And it was like this big, it was a couple of months before this big family reunion. And he was just like, I don't know. I mean, it, it, like the whole thing was just super, super surreal. <laughs> this whole thing is super surreal. <laughs> this podcast is like blowing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so my point is, so I was doing all of this really heavy duty cultural work and then one of my assignments was to go out to a village to find the synagogue from Micah and who's assigning you this the museum I work museum. for museum okay yeah i just have to call it the museum it's not open yet so exactly so one like on the like the the babylon exile like you know my the the story is Micah you know, God tells Micah to write the Bible and he buries it and leaves God's name out and unearths it and it's all written in gold. I had to, I'm like, they were like, go find that place. It's supposed to be in this village. It sounds like Mormonism. <laughs> right. It came with this fantastic set of sunglasses. It's amazing. <laughs> and a hat. <laughs> and so I went out, I went out and found, I mean, it's, it's the village was called Tedef. It's like an hour and a half outside of Syria. It's actually where a lot of the war, like it's, there's a highway on the south side is the village of Tedef. On the north side is a city, a village called Al Bab, and it's a heavy duty fighting there. And so, I had to tell my secret police minder guy. I was like, "Hey, again, I don't speak Arabic." I was like, "I'm going to get a car and go out to Tedef tomorrow." He's like, "Okay." I was like cool he's like okay and it wasn't cool like i did not know but i'm out there i'm photographing keep in mind my wife is coming to syria for the next day and so i went to go out to the to tedef to just see what the place looked like and get a couple of preliminary photographs before i go and do like the official photo shoot for this and i'm out there and i mean it's an amazing building you can get on top of the roof and it's kind of overgrown. It's in shambles. It's like 3,000 years old or something like that. It's in shambles. And um, photographing it and this villager stops and is staring at me. And then my default is like ultra-friendly guy. Like, wave, hi, how's it going? And um, he motions me to come down 
I come down, I can't talk to him. I like pat him on the shoulder and go back up, you know? So these two guys come over and um, I come down and I, I mean, I don't default to being nervous or scared usually. One guy looks stern and then one guy can speak a little bit of English and they, they were saying, where are your papers? I was like, I don't have them. I don't need them. Like I was told everything is taken care of. I don't need to have anything with me. I didn't even have my passport with me. Like I was just out. I know, not a good idea, but whatever. Dude. I mean, I, this is like my third time in the country and I'm now there on a semi-official capacity. Like it, whatever. And so... Semi-official means fuck all when there's a war going on. No, there was no war yet. Oh, not yet. Okay. No, oh, not okay. even close. Like, this is 2008. Oh, okay. Like, this is before all of it. This is, like, before... Was, was the ophthalmologist in power then? Yeah. Okay. Totally. All like, right. I, like, I'm pretty sure he had to approve this project. Like, okay. And so, and so, like, I was kind of protected. Not kind of. Like, I was protected, you know? And, and, and so... I was out in the village. These guys are sitting there. And one guy was like, you need to come with us and grabbed my arm. Not hard. And then I was like, um, and then a fourth guy shows up that speaks really good English. He's like, you need to come with me right now. And the way he said it, like, I kind of am a pretty decent judge of character. I was like, okay. So I went with him and we go he's a banished he was banished from damascus he's an english teacher that was banished to this village for the rest of his life as punishment for cheating for hooking up with his neighbor like and and i don't really understand exactly all the details of what happened and so he had this really really small dilapidated english school he's like my dreams to take to teach english in this village in my own private school and the classrooms were like if this room was divided in half with two paint and chalkboards that were like completely withered and he had a little courtyard with one fig tree and a propane tank and we sat in his courtyard for hours just talking like it was it was one of the best conversations i ever had well hold country. on who are the dudes grabbing you for papers well, this, is, th- this is where he was like i i don't know i never found out who they were but so Knowing that obviously working on Jewish related things is very sensitive in Syria, I'm all, I was always hesitant to tell people what I was really doing. And this guy, like people don't normally come out and say, hey, I got banished for hooking up with my neighbor who was married. Like I was like, okay, this guy can probably handle what I'm doing. We will take banishment over stoning in day of the week. <laughs> right. And so – um I told him what I was doing. I was like, I'm here to photograph. He's like, that. the reason why it's such a disputed place is the villagers held that building to be a mosque, but it's actually a synagogue. And the thing that's surprising is all Jewish property is one is under protection under Syrian military. Like they protect it. Like, and that's why, and this is what I didn't, like, this is why I had to get all this high level permission to photograph all these places and to go see all the, and not just see them. Like, you can get permission. It's very difficult to get permission to see these Jewish spots. It's almost unheard of to get permission to work in them. And so 
And that's the Syrian ambassador, the former Syrian ambassador of the United States, paved the way and got the permission to happen. Just a quick side note. With everything that's going on in Syria right now, yeah. which is awful, are your friends okay? Like, people you know? Is everybody all right? Like, So, no. The archbishop that I've been talking about was abducted by terrorists last year. He's gone. And, like... Uh, gone as in they don't know where he is? Yeah. Like, it's been a year. And uh, a lot of people I know have fled. Um, they all in Jordan or... Turkey, uh-huh. you know, Turkey, I know a couple people in Jordan, a yeah. bunch of people to Lebanon. Um, the guy that was in charge of the Jewish graveyard that I worked with every day for a long time was killed. Um, my translator is still in Aleppo. I was on Facebook I am with him yesterday. Like, I was like, can you get me a translation of the Armenian chant? I don't know what this is, you know, like. So, I mean, it's it's for me, like for all of this, like. I'm no diplomat. I'm not some military individual. Like, to come from hardcore and to turn into this and to have a direct insider scoop on a international crisis is very bizarre. And it's actually really difficult to digest most of the time. Yeah, it's... it's Once you have that connection to a person or people who are now in an area that's full of strife is awful. Like I have, I have a very good friend who was a journalist covering, you know, uh, battles in Ethiopia years ago. And it, yeah, he quit. He's like, I can't, he's like, I've seen people die. I can't do this anymore. It's very hard. Yeah. Um, and to have that kind of connection, that's very unnerving. Yeah. And, and I'm thrilled to have never had that. Um, but it's, that's like every time you're talking about Syria, that's all I'm thinking about. I was like, who do you know over there? So to to put like a humorous spin to all of this, the end of this conversation with the guy in the under the fig tree, literally, is he was like, I know the guy that does the that holds the records from the city. Like there was a grave or a Jewish graveyard in this village that I had to find that no longer exists. Right? It's gone. I had to go try to find the records of who was buried there. Right. He's like, I know the guy in charge of the records. Let's go. So we go to this office and normally in Syria, everyone invites you in. What do you tea, coffee? This guy looks at me, says something in Arabic. And then this guy that takes me to the meeting is like, you're free to do whatever you want. Please have a seat. I was like, what does that mean? What do you mean? I'm free. He's like, you're free. I was like, Yes? What's going on? He's like, the military will be here shortly. They're looking for you. I was like, what are you talking about? And then there was like a kind of not heated, but not clearly not friendly conversation between the the records keeper and, and the guy that I was with. And what happened was I was supposed to have a military escort to come to this village. Because everything is protected. But I didn't know that. And since I can't speak Arabic, the guy that was in charge of me in Aleppo just, you know, it's like this big, huge misunderstanding. And I'm still thinking of it as this big, huge misunderstanding, right? And so the police, the military, someone from the antiquities department comes and I actually get arrested and get interrogated. Like I get like, they, not not like some movie. I'm like, 
not like a black bag, like screaming in like a wet room or something like that. But like, you know, they were, they asked me a bunch of questions. I was held in this room for like hours and not understanding what was going on. I was joking around the entire time, like being stupid, like, Hey, yeah, you know, and then some guy, like it always gets unnerving when someone that speaks perfect English walks in the room, this guy, in regular clothes walks in. He's like, what are you doing here? I was like, uh, like I'm photographing. I'm sent, you know, this museum, blah, blah, blah. It's like, call the ambassador. And they're like, we don't know who he is. Like, what are you talking about? Where are your papers? And I was like, I thought it was all taken care of. And so I then, this is pretty amazing, have to get Why the in- fuck aren't you carrying your papers? This is killing me. <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> You're from fucking, like, like I know you spent a lot of time in D.C. You live there now in Northern Virginia. Like, everybody there works for the government. <laughs> I don't know, man. You like, tie them to your nuts when you travel. <laughs> I mean, I had my driver's license. Because part of it was I didn't want everyone to really have all my information. So no, I, just, I understand that, I would yeah. give everyone my driver's license. <laughs> just whatever. Like, here's my go, driver's p- license. D.C., you don't even have representation in Congress. <laughs> right. This is pathetic. first state. Um, so... Someone from the military, this plainclothes guy, myself, and the guy that brought me all get in the car that I rented from Alamo, from budget rent-a-car, and we drive back to Aleppo for questioning. And it was amazing. I was super I – was, I was like <laughs> – listening to converge in the car so these guys get in the car i'm blasting <laughs> like uh what album was it you fail me you know it's like go 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 i was like have you guys ever heard stuff like this like not really recognizing like what what's happening to me just like driving like 120 miles an hour just like it was insane like totally wild like drive back and i go to a building it's got a huge painting of Assad on the side of the wall with razor wire and a whole bunch of machine gun, like, guys. I was like, where are we going? They're like, just drive in. I was like, okay. And then I was like, okay, this is not normal. Like, whatever's getting ready to happen is not common. And so we go in. There's a barrier, like a huge iron wall shuts and then we get out of the car and we get led there's no elevator like up a bunch of stairs to this room um it's just like a regular office like this with a computer and just sat there for like an hour no friendly whatever like this thug guy keeps coming and looking at me and then we get ushered into a larger room you never ever ever see a gun in syria ever like like police don't carry them and this guy walks into the room, takes a pistol out, and puts it in a desk drawer, like straight out of a movie. I was like, uh, okay. And then I get questioned for like two and a half hours. I get interrogated. Not not physical or anything, like, but it was just, it was intense. Like, what, And when you're taking pictures, like, did they say, give me your camera? Like, give me the... So, this, this is when, yeah, like he started going through all my stuff. And I, it looked so bad. It looked, first off, my story sounds horrible. Hey, I used to be in hardcore bands. I'm a massage therapist. I work for a Jewish museum. I'm photographing your culture. Like, it screams CIA, you know? <laughs> like, it really does. And, and 
this this sounds like when they're all talking and you can't understand them are going this has to be true because this is idiocy if it's some <laughs> sort of cia cover-up they would not make this is either the most brilliant scheme ever to infiltrate syria or he's telling the truth well they were like do you have photos of you massaging people i was like no and if i did don't you think that would be sketchy yeah like like i'm being kind of funny the whole time and I was like, "What am? where am I? What room is this? He's like, you're in the visitor center. And I was like, this is the visitor center? He's like, yeah. I was like, do you have any pamphlets on the old city? Because I'm really not sure about, you know, my walking away around, like just being really stupid and kind of going back and forth with the guy and being lighthearted until he's like, you speak Arabic really well. You read Arabic too, right? That's what he asks me. I was like, not at all. I was like, I can't speak Arabic at all. And he'd ask me a bunch of questions. He goes through my camera and starts asking me all these questions related to my camera. And then he was like, do you feel safe in Syria? And I was just like, not after you asked me that, to be honest. Like, why, why did you ask me that? And he's like, do you feel safe? And I was like, up until now, yeah. And, and then... You know, I get nervous. I talk when I get nervous. And I was like, to be honest, like I've been all over the Middle East and I've actually felt the safest in Syria. He's like, you've been all over the Middle East? I was like, oh man, this is... So he asked me, had I been to Israel? And I just immediately thought of every, literally like every action movie ever. And I was like, if I say the word Israel out loud in their recording this that I don't know about, they can edit it and make it turn into, I say something that I don't say. And I immediately say, I've been to occupied Palestine. And he was like, so you've been to Israel? I was like, no, I've been to occupied Palestine. It's like, why did you go there? It's like my hardcore band toured there, <laughs> which is true. He was like, what? Like, you know, I, for a brief stint, I played in good, clean fun band and we played in Israel, you know, and I had a friend in Ramallah, like her family's from Ramallah and I was like, I was going to go visit them. And it was just, I don't know. And like, it was back and forth for a while and they finally let me go. And then like, I never had a problem again, but the whole point to that story is there was the head interrogator and then his translator. That guy hits me up on Facebook all the time, including today as I'm on the Verrazano Bridge. He's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm great. I will, where's my phone? Hold on. I will read to you. This is the translator while you're getting interrogated? <laughs> yeah, the translator of my interrogation hits me up on Facebook like it's no big deal. Let me read to you our... Is the subtext get me out of here? Like, is that... <laughs> kind? So, let me back up. I mean, it's totally insane. Um, and it always is in like the weirdest times, like last year at the fun, fun, fun fest, I get in the van with retox, like the locust guys, like, Hey, reunion. Holy shit. And then I haven't thought about that band in 20 years. Yeah. And, and, and the guy that was like the interrogator was like, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, I just got in the car with Justin Pearson. What's you, up with you? <laughs> yeah. Like, can we talk about a chemical weapons attack? <laughs> Um, oh, I don't think I have enough s signal to have it reload the older stuff. We're having enough technical problems today, Jason. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we just go back, go back and forth 
with this guy about i was like yeah you know we got arrested and like i i asked him once about a chemical weapons attack like because he's still in the army he is fighting right now for the for the army like as Prasad, like but i asked him are you like what's your deal he's like i don't fight for Assad. i fight i fight for syria like for the military like his whole thing but i bring it back like i've got friends on both sides of the of the field like people that are pro Assad, people that are against Assad, people that hate everything and just so it's it's a really weird and interesting intersection to be in and all this happens before your wife lands for her first trip to syria so how was her flight yeah so it ends with look i know you guys watch me i know that you're going to be following us can you make sure my wife doesn't know please and he was just like, sure. And so I leave there, freak out. I called the Syrian ambassador on his cell phone. Hey, I just got interrogated. What happened? Like, why, why did that happen? And then he was like, what? And then I called the museum. because, like, dude, there were these dudes with like AK-47s. I don't know what happened. This was totally insane. And I was also supposed to go photograph in Lebanon. And then Hebla... Uh, Hezbollah got super pumped and blew up the road to the airport. So my trip got canceled. So we actually... I mean, that's happened to everybody. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> come on. So it was amazing. So the <laughs> the museum guys, the whole board of directors flies to Syria. I arranged this trip for them. And as we're at the airport, so we're at the airport and all these dudes from New York are there. The guy that interrogated me is waiting. He's our private head of security. I was like, oh, it's the guy that interrogated I was like, it's Mr. AK-47. It was incredible. And are you friends with him on Facebook too? I can't <laughs> find him. I would love to. Like, I actually, like, after that, like, we actually intersected a deep, he was the head of political security for the city of Aleppo or what I gathered. And so we're walking around, like, I'm walking around Aleppo with jewish rabbis and the guy in english is like rabbi when you're with me safe but sometimes maybe not so safe when i put my sunglasses on you put on your hat like your baseball cap to hide his yarmulke just for like public safety so like we'd be walking he's like rabbi and just totally slowly puts his sunglasses on and everyone like slowly puts their baseball caps on it was incredible here's my thing and again <laughs> no disrespect to anyone's belief i myself personally if your belief system dictates how you dress i don't know that's just that gives me pause if you're in a situation where it's so dangerous and the guy says, put a hat on your other hat. Yeah. My first thought would be remove the previous hat. Well, I mean, this, like the, that was only for the only guys that would wear the yarmulkes out like dated like were the rabbis, not not the other like mm -hmm. not everyone had them. Like it was actually really interesting. And their perspective is this is actually our neighborhood. Like one of the guys was from Syria and left in the 90s. He was like. These people are in my neighborhood. This is our synagogue. It's been here for thousands of years. I should be able to do what I want. 
I mean, not, not, it wasn't that like, we're going to do what we want, you know, but like for, for the religious leadership, they always wore a yarmulke. And so they, the question was, I think the way it was posed is, should we like wear these or should we take them off? And I'm paraphrasing and may not mm-hmm. even be remembering correctly. And that's when he was like, in public, when you're with me, put your baseball cap on and for somewhere which can be more controlled, then it doesn't matter. It was just a matter of like control or something. I mean, it was. I mean, the whole thing is kind of mind numbing to be a part of anyway. It's, I can't even. I, I, when, <laughs> when does your book come out? <laughs> Hopefully, after my interview with Terry Gross tomorrow. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we've prepped you well because these kind of riveting questions don't really. <laughs> well, well to, 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 I mean, these are all really long answers. So after that arrest. Or whatever that was was like my support kind of waned over the years and so in 2010 i got my visa but i went and i couldn't go photograph any of the jewish spots like i was sent but couldn't do what i was sent to rec- to do so i just went around and started recording as much of the religious minority music as i could find and so that's the record the LP brought yeah. today. So that's the Sufi. Like these guys had never let a Westerner ever hear them or see them. They'd never practiced in public or performed in public or prayed in public. And so a friend of mine vouched for me and they allowed me to come in and record. And it turns out it's, I think, the only recording of its kind ever. Like there's another recording from 2002 of some Sufi guys from the same order that was done in Paris because they weren't like, it, I mean, it's. It's all insane. And so I, there's a Smithsonian record coming out, and then I decided I'll just release my own albums like on record store day. And so it's a four-volume series. The first one's Sufi. The second one is Armenian Orthodox chanting. The third one is Chaldean Orthodox, which is Iraqi Orthodox. And then the third one is like all the deacons from the church. But I wanted to use them as kind of metaphors for what happens to culture you know like like for example like i like honestly i don't know very much about the recordings until i have to start really thinking about releasing them and so the armenian one uh it's only like six or seven songs and i didn't even know why there were so many armenians in aleppo it's because of the Armenian Holocaust of World War One. after the death marches, that was the first major city where everyone fled. Which America still doesn't recognize. And there's an integrity song about that, Armenian persecution. Dude, I cut that guy's hair once. The guitarist? It was Aaron. super weird. Yeah. Picture this show. Frodus, Integrity, Furia 5. Uh, which one of these is not like the other? It was in Sweden, in like Linköping, <laughs> Sweden. And I was backstage just kind of nerding out. I was with hanging with integrity. And the guy's like, yo, can you cut hair? I was like, define, like, did you like, do you want it styled or what do you need? Cut, yes. <laughs> He's like, you cut my hair? I was like, this is amazing. Like, I really wanted to vocal test the guy, like, as we're cutting his hair. But, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a really interesting place to find myself. And so I decided to release this first album, the Sufi album, is kind of like, hey, I have all these things. I've got all these crazy stories and adventures and whatever you wanted to call it. Like, it's time to start 
sharing it. And it's not, I didn't time it because of the war. Uh, my daughter was born in May of 2010. And then I went to Syria in October, September, October of 2010. And then the war started. And then I stopped working on everything related to Syria because of the war. I was like, I didn't want to be the person that capitalized off of the disparity and destruction of a place. And so I actually stopped working on everything, thinking it wouldn't last that long. You know, like I didn't think it would be, you know, approaching year four or whatever. And so people started to ask me a lot, what do you think about what's going on? Does it look like, and the thing that really kind of like spurred me into starting to produce all this stuff was like, does it really look like what we see on TV? Like, not at all. It looks nothing like what you see on television. And so I was like, okay, I need to finish my book to show people what this place is like. And then it turned, just got worse and worse and worse and turned into, okay, now I need to show people what this place used to look like. And I paused again because most of the book focuses on the city of Aleppo where I spent most of my time. This is a book of the photographs. Yeah. And, you know, the place just got hammered. Like it's, it's not gone, but there's a good chunk of it that's destroyed. So all of my, what I would consider B or even C level photographs are going to go in because they're just not there. Like, the neighborhood's gone or like a photo like specifically there's a a good metaphor it's like a it's a building of a bunch of fabric like house like that like blankets just drying it's not the most engaging photograph well that building doesn't exist anymore so it's going to go in the book you know like a bunch of little things like that like i've decided to put in and then i had a second kid <laughs> you know so it's like the timing of everything is just it's I wanted to wait for a better day and I don't see it happening anytime soon. Dude, having my children keeps me from like walking on the yellow part of the train platform <laughs> to get around people. That's how I think of danger. I can't even imagine you like maybe I won't go to Syria now. Yeah, I mean totally. Like like a couple weeks like maybe it was like a couple months ago I get a call from the museum like okay. No more massage therapy. You're going to Damascus. I was like, absolutely not. They just had a chemical weapons attack. Like, you don't want to go? I was like, do you want to go? I'll go if you go. Like, I'm not going. It's like, I'm not going either. If um, no more massage therapy, you're going to Damascus, isn't the title of the book. <laughs> I will that's be very good. disappointed. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, very that's, disappointed. That's good call. Find me a publisher. <laughs> In a minute. <laughs> We've got things to do. Dude, we could talk to you for hours, and I want to. I w- and I will. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Um, what? So the Nawa is the first in the series of the yeah. LPs, and there's yeah. going to be three or four? Four. And four. where can people find that, buy it, or check it out? So it goes up for download everywhere, everywhere that digital stuff happens on Tuesday, Tuesday the 17th. Okay. And then after, like, Record Store Day has a 90-day you can't sell anything for 90 days. And after that, then it'll be, you can get it anywhere. Like any, it's like, you buy it at discord. So if you want to get like red medicine 
and Sufi chanting at the same so time. So where is it? That's like in like the world music section or something, or who knows? I don't even know. Yeah. Like, I don't think there is a world music section. Yeah, anymore. maybe not. I mean, I think it would be like, for instance, like whatever vinyls. Like the thing that's been kind of surprising is people that listen to music that have been in bands forever tend to end up gravitating towards this. Like I had a big talk with Evan from Young Widows the other day. He's like, I only uh-huh. listen to this kind of stuff now. You know, it's like, and those are the people that now own record shops and curate what they sell. It's not like, don't get me wrong, there's always like a hippie guy in sandals that wants to talk to you about whatever, Robin Trainer LP. But like, you know. I don't talk to that guy. <laughs> yeah, but he talks to you. I tend to walk away very quickly. <laughs> But, you know, like, I would, I would, like, it did really well for, for being as an obscure release. Like, you know, it sold out in a day for Record Store Day. That's great. And in the book, what's the title going to be? Aleppo, Syria, Witness to an Ancient Legacy. Great. That's a a way better title than the other one I thought of. No, that, like, so honestly, like, there's the, there's the photo book that's like, it'll be a huge tome. Like, um. That's amazing. It'll be the first book in English on Aleppo. That's why the ambassador asked me to do it. And so um, that will come out, but then I actually would like to write my. I mean, I have limitless, dude, insane. You have to, yeah, dude. It, there's sure. no question about it. Yeah, you must do it. Uh, and then we'll talk to you again after that happens. So get to work. Uh, all of a sudden, I believe in God. Yeah, dude. That was <laughs> that was intense. No matter what your faith level is, what is an amazing story. And the fact that he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to do this. And he did it. I think about doing things all the time and I see none of them through. I have been thinking <laughs> about going into the basement of my building and doing my laundry for about two weeks. And then I'm like, oh, I need quarters. Uh, this shirt doesn't smell so bad. No. Let alone like, I'm going to go to Syria where I don't know anyone and figure out how to record this music that's never been recorded before. No. Just passed down forever and yeah. ever and ever. And man. And all of a sudden, this dude who's like in all this, you know, punk stuff is going on NPR and great podcasts like ours. Yeah. Telling this tale. Yeah. I mean, NPR and us, I mean, those are right up there. Yeah. And then he put out a coffee table book of uh, photos that he took and just, I, I, it's bonkers to me. Completely bonkers. They would do that. So, so check out, check out all of his stuff on Lost Origins. Check out Regions. Check out. Frodo's. Check out Frodo. Yeah, come on. Well, yeah, check out all, all of that stuff. I mean. A tale as old as time. Check out Battery. I, I, I really like Battery. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't listened to that. Go back in time, time. Go to my apartment. Drink all my daiquiris, maybe. I, I'm, so, I'm curious, like, when you say you think that Frodo's drank all your daiquiris, did you just have, like, a daiquiri station or something? Here's what we did. And this is why I didn't bring it up during during the podcast, because I try to be respectful. So every year... At college, my roommate Kevin and I would have a Good Friday hamburger party. And that particular year, actually every year we would make hamburgers and we would put nails in them. <laughs> and we would have this big Good Friday party where we would make everybody watch Jesus Christ Superstar and we would make daiquiris. <laughs> and, and so that year, word got out and a lot more people showed up. The um, word got out. Uh, ben... <clears throat> Ben Davis from Mile Marker, and Ben was there. He's a good friend of mine from school. And uh, Kevin had his friends, and I had my friends. And Kevin, if you were one of Kevin's friends, you got a pina colada, and we would draw with a, a cross on your hand with a sharpie. And on my my friends, you had to draw a crown of thorns, and that was the only way you got a specific drink. 
and Kevin put a, a, a sign on the door that said live from Golgotha <laughs> on the front. And I mean, it's, some people would say blasphemy, but it's only blasphemy if that's what you believe in. So I understand why you didn't bring this up. I didn't bring it up. I like the that party. quote. Yeah. It's only blasphemy if that's what you believe yeah, in. Yeah, I don't say it's blasphemous if it's not your thing. Shut the fuck up. Who are you? I don't think so it would have pre- been funny. If, <laughs> don't be so pretentious. If Jason was talking about being in Syria and all these like religious wars and be like, well, do you remember my uh, Good Friday hamburger parties? <laughs> <laughs> With the actual nails in the burgers. <laughs> and then I graduated and then the following year the party got so big it had to be invite only. It had to be people wow. had to be invited to come to this ridiculous party that we started. Like, just to be goofballs. So, basically, what I'm saying is, uh, motherfucker, you stole our shit. Yeah. So, you started that party just for fun? Pretty much, yeah. Or just for bun? Yeah, there it is. Ladies and gentlemen, go on goingofftrack.com. If if you were confused, we were talking about NPR. This definitely is not NPR. No, because it would be said like this. Um, Do you mean just for for bun? Yeah. It would be, like, Mm -hmm. a little bit, like, (laughs) a little more smug. (laughs) <laughs> right they, yeah be like please donate to the jonah bear pun fund so we can keep this podcast going uh the pun fund uh get, hit <laughs> us up on facebook.com slash going off track we still have some t-shirts left if you're a double xl and you want one to wear as a sheet uh you can you can hit us up one guy from the uk hit me up and said i want one of the shirts and i said well hey just donate to our paypal and i'll just mail it over to you so i have his address but nothing ever showed up on paypal so if you're listening yeah check and make sure you didn't get screwed over like it was a credit should card we, thingy is there a demand for should we make more shirts or no oh yeah you guys know. want shirts if you guys want shirts We'll make them. We'll make them. Maybe we can do a small run of them. Yeah. Uh, but let us know because we don't want to just make them and then have them sit around and then have to give them away at In our live podcast. With Jonah's record cool. Yeah. Um, so if you want a shirt, let us know. We can work something out. And check us out on Facebook, um, Twitter, the, the all Twitter. that stuff. Check out all Jason's stuff. It's, we don't do Tumblr because we're not activists. We don't. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you for listening. Thanks for coming by, Jason. And uh Stay strong.